How many of you came expecting to receive something from God today? Yes. How many of you came expecting nothing? Don't, don't lie. You, no. No. If you were expecting nothing, repent. <laughs> we got a good God. Amen. We're here to receive from God's word. Receive from him. Apply his word to our lives. Jesus said when he was given the parable of the, the two guys, one who built his house on the sand, one who dug deep and built his house on the rock. When he gave the explanation, one thing I missed for years, he said the one who built his house on the rock was the one who heard my words and did them. What if I just heard them and didn't did them? I wouldn't be that guy. want to hear his words and obey, right? Amen. I want to I want to get started in something that actually changed my life. The verses I'm going to go through today, and I'm going to go through them pretty fast. But the verses that I'm going to go through today are some things. Hold on, let me set my my timer here so I don't kill anybody. Praise God. The verses I'm going to go through today, the teaching I'm going to go through today is, is something that actually changed my life. And, and I know that if you receive the word of God today, if you'll go back home, mark these verses, read these scriptures, give yourself wholeheartedly to the word of God, it will have the same effect in your life because God is no respecter of person. I want to, I'm going to start in Jude. And then I'm going to go to the book of Matthew, and I'm going to go through several portions in Matthew, and then come back to Jude. But I want you to see something, because what I'm going to be talking about today is believers. I, I toyed with that, uh, that title several times. I was going to call it Believing Believers. Believing Believers Who Believe. And then Believing Believers Who Believe They Believe Who Really Don't Believe. But that started sounding crazy, so I didn't use any of those. I'm going to talk about believers. Well, recently, I was, I was speaking with a lady and, uh, and she was telling me about a relative she had. And I mean, I mean, this guy sexually assaulted people. He's in prison. He's going all these things. And, and she's talking about him and asking me to pray for him. I said, he needs to be born again. He needs to be born. And she, she looked at me confused. And she said, oh, no, no, he's a believer. And I said, man, I, I, think, I know you're using that word, but I don't think you know what that word means. But that, you got to realize that's something that happens a lot. Someone can be on fire for the devil, living totally contrary to God's word, spit on the Bible, kick it down the road, say they don't care about any of it, don't go to church, say it's all a lie, and you will have 10, 20, 30 people say, he's a Christian. How do you know? Because he told me one day he prayed a prayer. you got to understand the scripture uses the word believer. That's a special title. Special title. Hey, all through the book of Acts, he'll talk about that they heard there were believers in this city. And then he'll describe what they believed. And he'll talk about how he went down and how they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, how they had love one for another and love for God, and they were expressing the love of God all around them. But I want to point out something in Jude. Jude chapter 1, because there's only one chapter. This is a very short letter, but a very important letter. And I want you to see what he does here. He points out at the beginning of it, saying that, that his intention was to just write about the salvation that we all share 
But then he realized he had to write about something else. In Jude chapter 1 verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Well, what faith? Your faith, my faith. You know, there's a bunch of faith. And actually, there's one faith. The means singular. The faith. The faith. And then he said, well, how do we know if this is the faith or not? It's the one that was delivered to the original standing with Jesus. That's the one. And if the faith that I'm claiming is not the same one that was given to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if it's not the same one that was given to them, it's one that somebody else made up. And it's not really the faith at all. I want you to see this. I'm going to read all of it and then read it in the New Living Translation. Exhort you that you should earnestly contend. The word contend means fight or struggle. Earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The New Living says it this way. I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation that we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else. I must urge you to defend the faith that was entrusted once for all time. There's not another one. I know that is a common teaching. That No, no, no. He had a special teaching for this group of people and a special teaching for this group and a special teaching the faith that was once entrusted for all time to God's holy people. The, most of the new translations say there that was first given or given at the first or given at the beginning. Now, when we go through this letter, because if you'll ever meet somebody who is exactly what he described in this book, this will be their flagship book. The people that this book is written against those people have taken this book and they try to use it to hurt the ones who are walking in right standing with God. I want you to see what he says here because he's going to point this out. You're to earnestly contend for the faith that was given at the beginning. And then he says in verse 17, I'm going to go through the middle here in a minute, but when he gets to his closing instruction in verse 17, beloved, remember the words that were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's getting to. Receive the gospel that was first given to the 12 that were there. And now remember what those guys told you. Remember what was first spoken of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who walk after their own ungodly lust. Now, we think of the word lust as only in sexual desire, but it actually just means desire. You can have sexual lust. You can have lust for money. You can have lust for a lot, but the word lust means desire. They're just walking after their own desires. And he explains that more in the next verse. Verse 19, these men are led. These men who separate themselves from the believers, they are sensual, which means fleshly led, having not the Holy Spirit. Now listen, he's giving a dividing line here. They are sensual, not having the Spirit. But you, 
You have the Spirit. That's what he's going to say. But you, beloved, you build yourselves up on your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And on others, save with fear or urgency, as if snatching them from the fire and hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. In his closing statements, verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior. Look at what he says. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and power. One time a long time ago. No, no, no. Glory, majesty, dominion, and power. Now, and forever. Now and forever. Now, backing up in this little letter, he's going to point out, basically, we can break it down into several groups, but two major groups that he's warning against, saying that you have to contend with for the faith. The first one would be, such as in verse 4, where he speaks about those who are trying to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Those who are trying to use the grace of God as a reason to go and live in sin. He says, fight against that. Someone who is trying to say, oh, well, you know, because Jesus died, you just continue in adultery and fornication and lasciviousness. That is a lie. We are to fight against that. Those who say there is no judgment to come for the ungodly, fight against that. The second group that he gives is he says they are mockers of spiritual things in verse 8. The way the King James says it is this, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, the word there is spiritual authority, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. The literal says they mock spiritual things. They mock spiritual things. That is common now in churches. That is common to have people. Yeah, but I don't believe all that spiritual stuff. I just believe in going to heaven when I die. He said we're to fight against that. Because he's saying that these people have snuck into the churches, is what he says. He said they snuck into the churches in verse 12, and they're, they're, they're among you without fear. Why are they without fear? Because they're the ones attacking other people. So they've got no, they're the heresy hunters. They're the ones going around saying, this guy's wrong and that guy's wrong. So they have no fear of anything. But he says you'll know them because in verse 12, for they are clouds without water. This was an agricultural country. Agricultural people. They saw rain clouds. Yes, rain is here for my crops. And they got nothing. What is that? That's the way many people are today. The, the other... In that same verse, clouds without water, carried about out of wind, trees whose fruit withered without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, trees with no fruit on them. This is what he's calling these people. Trees with no fruit on them. So you've got these people who are, as he says, mockers, not empowered by the Spirit, but led by the flesh, 
just doing what seems good according to the natural mind. And he said, but no, no, that's not who you are. You're to be led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, building yourself up on your most holy faith by praying in the Spirit and giving acknowledgement to the God that he says has glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Well, what if I'm saying something against that? What if I'm saying, oh no, he had glory, dominion, and power, but it's not for today. Then I will be a fruit, a tree with no fruit, and I will be a, a rain cloud with no rain. Now I want to back up, and I'm like I said, I want to come back to this portion. But in Matthew, now I want to stay in that there's these portions I'm going to read are in, in multiple other, such as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I want to read the account here just to keep the mindset from the same gospel writer, the same mindset, keeping it in context. The first one I want to look at, Matthew chapter 13. Now this is when Jesus went into his own hometown. And like I said, there's a lot of teaching in each one of these, but I'm going to touch on the main teaching that it's given to give us and then move to the next one. But he says here in chapter 13, verse 54, and when Jesus was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues in so much that they were astonished and said, what has this man, this wisdom and these mighty works? Now it's going to say he didn't do any mighty works there. He was talking about what he'd done in other towns. He was telling them about the mighty miracles that were done. He was telling them about the works of God that was done. Just like he told the messengers of John, you go back and tell John that the blind eyes are open, that the lame walk, that the deaf hear. You go back and tell of these miracles. Why? Because it's preparing other people to receive these miracles is what you're doing. But here when he spoke about this, he gave revelation and he spoke of the miraculous power of God and they said, glory be to God, we want some. I mean, you, that ain't what they said, is it? Look at what they said. They said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Isn't this just the carpenter's son? And his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Jonas and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not with us here? Whence then has this man all these things? And they were offended in him. And that's what happens. Those people who are the, the trees with no fruit, they're going to get offended at the things of God. They were offended at him. Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save except in his own country, in his own house. And verse 58, the ones I'm getting to. And he did not many mighty works there. Why? Now, now what would the, wind, the, the clouds without rain why would they say? The trees without fruit, why would they tell you Jesus didn't do mighty works there? Well, it just wasn't the will of God. And you know, God allowed those bad things to happen there to teach them something. And you know, God had a plan in what he was doing there. But why did Jesus say there was no mighty works in that town? It, this doesn't take a doctrine of divinity. Why, why did he say? Because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. That's what he said. I want to I look at the way he says that in Mark. I'm just going to come right. Mark chapter 6, 
Same account. Mark chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 5 and 6. And Jesus there in his own hometown could do no mighty work, save or except for that he laid his hand upon a few sick folk and healed them. The phrase is they recovered over time. Jesus got what we normally get in churches today. That was the result that he got when he was, when he was in his own hometown because of their unbelief. The rest of that verse, and he marveled because of the will of God who didn't want to do it. Nope, that's not what it says. And he marveled that God would allow such bad things. That's not what it says. And he marveled because of their unbelief. That's what marveled him. He said, why won't you receive what God sent Jesus to give? That's what caused him to stand in amazement. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And his response to their unbelief was, and he went round about the villages teaching them. That was his response. Teaching is to set you up to receive all that God came to give. Back to the portion I was reading there. I actually want to read this in another translation. This. Matthew chapter 13, verse 54 through 58. When Jesus arrived in his own hometown of Nazareth, he began teaching the people in the synagogue. Everyone was overwhelmed with astonishment over the depth of revelation they were hearing. And they said to one another, where did this man get such wisdom and miraculous power? Isn't he just the craftsman's son? Isn't his mother named Mary and his four brothers, Jacob and Joseph and Simon and Judah? Don't his sisters all live here in Nazareth? From where did he get all this revelation and power? If you start speaking of revelation and power, you will be attacked. You will be persecuted. See, this is the portion when he says, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you shall suffer what? Persecution. First martyr of the church, Stephen. Why did they stone him? He was there, mighty signs and wonders confirming the word. And he began declaring the glory of God in Jesus Christ, and they persecuted him for it. Now, people have tried to... No, no, living godly is just being nice. No, no, the Bible actually says a soft answer turns away wrath. Being nice will get nice results. Living godly is not just being nice, but it's living godly, living in the ways of God, living in God's way. Well, who is perfect theology? Jesus Christ. The more you live like Jesus Christ, the more attack will come from those who don't like Jesus Christ. The rest of this portion, verse 57, and the people became offended and began to turn against Jesus. And Jesus said there's only one place that a prophet isn't honored, and that's his own hometown. Verse 58, listen at the rendering of this one. And their unbelief kept him from doing any mighty miracles in Nazareth. Wow. And now I know I've had theology class where they say, well, you don't want to say that because it's offensive to people. Jesus would tell the disciples multiple times, your doubt 
Your faith is the, your, your lack of faith is the problem. Your little faith is the problem. Your unbelief is the problem. Your doubt is the problem. And they didn't get offended. They said, thank you, Jesus. But now people have been trained by religion that I'm perfect. I'm doing everything right because my denomination told me I was. And now if you say that I can be more like Jesus, I'm mad at you now. I'm telling you, that, that is the common theme in most religious denominations today. I'm doing everything exactly right because my denomination said so. And if you said I can live more like Jesus, I'm going to get mad at you and attack you. We've got to break free from that. It is hindering and it is hurting. Another account where Jesus teaches along these same lines in Matthew chapter 17, same gospel writer, Matthew chapter 17, beginning at verse 19. Actually, I'll back up to chapter four, verse 14. Now, let me set the setting here. So the disciples were out doing what Jesus told them to do, casting out devils and healing the sick. They come up on this one man who brings his son and it didn't work. It didn't work. They tried to heal this child, cast this evil spirit off him, and it seemingly didn't work. Then Jesus comes up because he sees a group of the religious teachers are now all around the disciples. Why didn't it work? Why didn't it work? They're the same spirit. Why don't you go clean out the hospitals? Because of those guys. That's why. Because they were going around in on purpose putting doubt and unbelief in people's heart against Jesus. Man, we got people doing the same thing today. But I want you to show you this portion right here. Verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came a certain man kneeling down to Jesus and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son because he's a lunatic. Man, I've had people say that to me today. Whew, man, have mercy on my son. He's a lunatic. Have mercy on my son. He's a lunatic. Sore backs, oftentimes falling into the fire and into the water. Listen to this indictment he lays, verse 16. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. The same indictment is leveled against the disciples of Christ today. I brought him to your disciples, Jesus, and they couldn't help. Listen to what he says here. Verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation. The word faithless means without faith. Perverse, we normally think about perverted as in sexually perverted, but it really just means twisted or wicked in the mind. Someone can have perverted thoughts, but he's saying that all of their thoughts were twisted. They didn't have a right view of God. Now what you know the story. What's going to happen is the disciples are going to go to Jesus alone and say, Jesus, why didn't it work? But that's not what people do today. People will on purpose seek out people who are faithless and have twisted theology and ask them why it didn't work. That's what happens today. They will do the opposite of what we see in the scripture. The disciples, whenever they had the failure, they went to Jesus alone and said, why didn't it work? But what will common church people do now? They will go to the ones who it doesn't work for them. The ones who have no faith and the ones who have twisted thinking. And they'll ask them, give me a good reason why it doesn't work. Explain it away for me so I can feel appeased in my conscience. 
That's what's happening right now. Jesus pointed out that they had no faith and that they were perverted in their thinking. How long will I suffer you? Bring him hither unto me. Jesus rebuked the devil and the devil departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Next verse. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart from everyone else and said, why couldn't we cast him out? They had been already doing it. Why didn't it work this time, Jesus? Verse 20. How many of you know what Jesus said to him? That's what he's going to say. He didn't say, well, now this was a special case, brother. You see, God was just working out something in this child's life, and that's why he was causing him to do that and fall in the fires. And God was just doing this for a purpose that is just higher than our understanding, and you just never know what God... None of that... You don't read that here. Yes, you will find that common in the religion of man that the book of Jude tells us to fight against. But look at what Jesus said. Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. And they got mad and said, how dare you say that to me, Jesus? Do you know who I am? I've been in church my whole life. And why would you? They didn't say that. They had, a, they had an attitude of thank you so much because they knew they weren't perfect. Listen to what he said, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. The next verse, verse 21, how be it this kind? The disciples were focused on the demon. Jesus was focused on faith and getting the doubt out. How be it this kind of unbelief, this kind of doubt goes out by prayer and fasting. And I've heard to you, this lady was trying to tell me about, uh, the, I know somebody that's got a prayer and fasting demon. I said, they got a what? A prayer and fasting. It's one of them demons that don't listen to the name of Jesus. You got to pray and fast them out. I said, woman, you have lost your mind. No, if there is a demon that does not obey the name of Jesus, you ain't got no hope of getting him out. There is only one name that's above every name. There is only one name that has all authority in heaven and in earth, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Prayer and fasting there is to help me get to a place to where I don't have that twisted mind, to where I don't have that perverted thinking. It gets me back to where I'm desiring the spiritual more than the carnal. Now, another, the same portion. Actually, I want to finish reading this one portion here. He pointed out here, because of your unbelief, he pointed out here that if somebody had even a small amount of pure faith, it could do anything. He teaches on the same thing and uses the same illustration in the same gospel, Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verse 21. Now, this was the account of the fig tree. Recall, Jesus sees this fig tree, and it wasn't time for the figs to be harvested yet, and it should have figs on it. So Jesus, is walk, Jesus walks all the way over to this fig tree, gets there, and there's no fruit on it. And then he says in chapter 21 and verse 19, let no fruit grow on you from henceforth forever. Whew. 
Now what did Jude call these people who were teaching against the things of Christ? Who were teaching against the dominion and the glory and the power of God now and forever? He called them trees without fruit. But look at what he said here. Jesus curses this fig tree and it withers up and dies. The disciples see that and they say, they marvel at how quickly it withered up. Verse 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not. Verse 21, If you have faith and doubt not. So much teaching is about you need more faith. You need to get more faith. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you've got enough faith. But you see, all of the rest of the things that come along with the principles of God and the power of God and the life of God for you today, there is the doubt and the unbelief of the world trying to come in and creep in on you to keep you from walking it out as a witness for God. But he points out here, if you have faith, and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, be removed, hence to yonder place, it shall be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever you ask that way. Look at what he does here. He gives the definition of believing. Whatever you ask believing, you shall receive. Believing in context is having faith and doubting not. Believing is having faith and pushing the doubt out. I'll read all of that again. Verse 21, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done, and all things whatsoever you ask in that way, believing, you shall receive. I want to read this portion in the New Living Translation. Matthew 21, 21 and 22, Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. See, this is big. This is bigger than what I've lived up until today. This is bigger than the life that I've seen in my short time on this earth. Next portion, the last chapter of Matthew. Now, Matthew chapter 28, beginning at chapter at verse 17. Now, I know this used to be called the Great Commission until people started whittling so much out. Of, well, well, not this part of the Great Commission and not that part of the Great Commission and not that part either. The part where it just says, go tell people good things about Jesus, that's the Great Commission. No, no, what we see here in the Scripture, this is the Great Commission. Beginning at verse 17, and when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. Look at the last part. But some doubted. Some doubted. They all worshipped him, but some still had doubt. But some doubted. 
And Jesus came and spoke unto them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go because of that. Go therefore and teach all nations. What am I supposed to teach all nations? That all power in heaven and in earth has been given to Jesus. That's supposed to be the primary teaching. Supposed to be the primary teaching is that all power in heaven and in earth has been given to Jesus. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, teaching. Teaching them to observe. Observe what, Jesus? Observe that some of the things that, that I talked about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, uh, teach them to observe some of the things that I said would be good if they feel like it. It's not what he says. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. I've went through this before. The word observe doesn't mean look at. It means to actively participate in. Do you observe this holiday? I'm not asking if you know about it. I'm asking if you actively participate in it. And you see, and this is where I fell short for years. This is where I know plenty of good people who I know love God. They will not teach to observe everything that Jesus commanded his disciples. It's not because they're bad people. In many places, because they're self-deceived. They're using themselves as the standard. They're saying, well, I've done this, so I'll teach this. I know that I met a good guy one time and he did this, so I'll teach this. Instead of saying, no, Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the standard, and I'm to say, be more like Jesus. Walk more like Jesus. Talk more like Jesus. Bring the love of God, the power of God, or like they said in Matthew when we read there, bring the revelation knowledge of God like Jesus and bring the miraculous like Jesus. Because he's living where? He's living in you. I want to read all of this and then read also the Great Commission the way it's given at the end of Mark. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you for a, a few years after my death, burial, and resurrection, and then I'm just going to evaporate, brother. That's not what it says. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. world ain't ended yet. The world is not ended yet. At the end of, of Mark, I want to read that in the Passion, Mark chapter 16 and verse 5, beginning at verse 15. And he said unto them, as ye go into all the world, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Whosoever believes the good news and is baptized will be saved. And whoever does not believe the good news will be condemned. And these miracle signs will accompany those who, those who, those who believe, those who believe, will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. God, just why are there so many demons here? Why is the devil just doing all this bad stuff? Believers drive out the demons in the name of Jesus. Drive out the demons in my name. They will speak in new tongues, speaking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to come. 
They will be supernaturally protected. Man, that, that's available. I, there's free, I wasn't even believing for the protection of God for years. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. And they will lay hands on the sick and heal them. This is what the world needs. The world needs a manifestation of Jesus Christ. The world needs believers who believe the word of God. Not just buildings. Not just people who come together and worship a God that used to be. But they need the Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This town needs him. The world is crying out for this Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, one of the main problems is that people are refusing to push the doubt out. Just like we read in all those portions. I mean, absolutely refusing to cast out doubt. And then wondering, I don't understand why it doesn't work because of your unbelief. But I do believe. Believe what? I believe in going to heaven one day when I die. Yeah, well, that's going to happen. Let it be according to your faith. But do you believe that you will drive out demons in the name of Jesus? Do you believe you'll have that supernatural protection? Do you believe that when you lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus, that they will recover? And many do not believe that. But I'm telling you, if you start doing that, those that Jude said were, were trees that didn't have fruit in them, those that Jude said were like rain clouds that don't give rain, those that Jude said were, were those who mocked spiritual things and spoke evil of what they didn't even understand, they will attack you. They will attack you. And see, and one of the main problems today is that those attackers are reverenced in the church. Oh. If I got up here and I, and I tried to explain 25 reasons why God died with the apostles, people would love it. The carnal man eats that up. Yeah! They want it! Million YouTube, a million YouTube views. People would love it. And right now, if, if you start walking in it, you start walking in it more than you are right now. And it starts getting out there. Man, Paul prayed for this guy and he was healed. Oh, that's a blessing. And then somebody else. And then he does it two or three, four times. Now they're going to start saying, we don't like Paul. The world will say it. And the people in churches who don't believe the Bible will start saying it. It's a fact. And pretty soon, you'll be able to type in his name in the internet and there'll be 25 preachers that say why Paul is wrong with God. And then the church people will go and listen to that guy who's not walking in the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, and they'll choose that over somebody who is. That's what happened in Paul's life. That's what happened in the, every city he went into over and over again. That's what happened at the stoning of Stephen. That's what happened when Jesus went back into his own hometown. I want to read just a few more portions here in closing. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. Now this is whenever the, the 70 missionaries returned to Jesus. 
They were ecstatic with joy, telling him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us when we commanded them in your name. And Jesus replied, while you were ministering, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. Verse 19, now you understand that I have imparted unto you my authority to trample over Satan's kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power that Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing will harm you as you walk in this authority. He's saying the same thing he says in the Great Commission, but in a different way. Amen. As you walk in this, verse 20. However, your real source of joy isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but that your names are written in the book of life. If your name's written in the book of life, this is about you. That your names are written in the book of life and that you belong to God's kingdom. And that's your true source of authority. In John chapter 14, I want to ask you to stand with me if you will. In John chapter 14, the words of Jesus Christ, he points out to them when they were arguing about who he was, and he said in verse 11, believe that I live as one with my father and that my father lives at one with me. Or at least believe me because of the mighty miracles I've done. Verse 12, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I've done. And even greater miracles than these because I go to be with my father. You see, Jesus is perfect theology. If you have not just the right, but the obligation to question anything that you think you know about God that doesn't look like Jesus. If I read through the Old Testament, I got a view of God. This, this is who God is. But then I see it doesn't look like Jesus. You better start bringing that into accountability. You better start rectifying that with the word of God. and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've got some religious idea of who God is and what he's done, and it doesn't look like Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you need to turn from that and turn to Jesus. Jesus points out in, or it's pointed out in John chapter 1, verse 18. I want to read in the Amplified. No one has seen God, his essence, his divine nature at any time. The one and only begotten, that is the unique son, who is in the intimate presence of the Father. Look at, listen to the last verse. He has explained the Father and interpreted the Father and revealed the awesome wonder of the Father to us. That's big. That's bigger than what people give it credit for. Jesus has explained and interpreted and revealed the awesome wonder of the Father. In John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus is talking about why he does the miracles and the things he does. And he points out, it's because I'm following the Father. 
I'm expressing the Father. And it, and, it, and it got the people to start thinking, man, what do we need to do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus replied to them in verse 29, Jesus told them in the New Living Translation, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. I'm not believing in, in my special ability or in my talent or in my burning in my hands or in I, I said the right words at the right time. I'm believing in Jesus Christ. That same verse in the King James says, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom God had sent. The Amplified Classic says, This is the work that God asked of you that you believe in the one whom he has sent, that you cleave to him, that you trust in him, that you rely on him, that you have faith in God's messenger. That's what we're really talking about. Faith in Christ for everything. Faith in Christ for everything. Now, I want to ask you today, are there those in here today who have needs in your life? I want you to raise your hand. Have needs in your life. Jesus is the answer to that problem. He's not the problem. There, there's two job descriptions given in the Bible. Steal, kill, and destroy her. Bring life more abundanter. Is that a word? Abundanter. Bring life. Two job descriptions given, right? And you know what wicked religion of man has done? Whoop, switched them. Today, right now, Sunday morning, across hundreds of churches, probably thousands, across a lot of buildings, they're, they're up there frantically in sweat and all trying to explain to you why it's okay to switch the job description between Jesus and the devil. I mean, they because it makes them look bad to see what the job description is. They're saying, man, how can I explain this away? I know the Bible plainly says every single time if it's stealing, if it's killing, if it's destroying, it's the devil. But I've got to convince them it's really Jesus, or at least God allowing it to teach them something. I've got to try to do it. Man, uh, sister, I don't know why God did that to you, but, but he's got a good reason for it. Blessed be the Lord. And then what they've done is, if, if somebody is walking in the things of God, they'll say, oh no, that's a lying sign and wonder. That's the devil. Right now, that's what's happening. Their own purpose trying to switch the roles. And they've been doing it so long, this whole nation is crumbling. That's what the real problem is. The church is the preserving agent, wherever the church is. And if I look at this community, if I look at this nation, and say, what is the problem? I either have to say, they don't have the gospel, that's the problem. Well, they got the gospel. What's the problem? They're refusing to believe it. That's what the problem is. That's what, the, that's what the, the answer to every failure I've ever had in my life is me refusing to believe that that problem was already solved in Jesus Christ. Now, I wouldn't have told you that, please the Lord. At that minute, I wouldn't have said that. That's what it is. 
Jesus Christ came that you would have life and that you would have it more abundantly. The thief comes not except for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And they don't change roles. Anything that is stealing from you, we need to declare that what it is, identify the enemy, and tell him to leave in the name of Jesus. Anything that is killing, anything you love, we need to identify that that's the enemy. And we need to tell it to leave in the name of Jesus. Anything that is destroying you or what you hold dear, we need to identify that as the work of the enemy. And we need to declare the victory of Jesus Christ over that. Now. 